In 2015, ESPN released a short documentary that told the story of A.C. Shaw, who in 2011, right after winning his first state championship as a girls basketball coach in a small Idaho farming community, returned home to find a baby calf at risk of hypothermia. He loaded the calf into his truck, but what A.C. didn't know is the calf carried a rare virus that left A.C. without the use of his legs and limited use of his arms. The virus also made it difficult for AC to speak, and yet ESPN told the incredible tale of how AC returned to coach the game he loves, winning three more state championships. But what they didn't tell you was the faith that has carried AC through. For as his wife, Jalen, told the local newspaper, life here on earth is for a short time and our eternal family, we will be together forever. A.C. Shaw coached the Dietrich High School girls basketball team to four state championships during his 16 years coaching. He attributes his athleticism and basketball knowledge to great parents who loved to see their son succeed and made sacrifices for him to improve. Jay Lynn is a school secretary who has, since A.C.'s accident, devoted her life to serving her husband. They are the parents of three children. A.C. says the message of his story is simple. I'll let him tell you in his own words. In Moroni's M35 says, have miracles ceased? And he says, nay. And um, I testify that miracles have not ceased. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and I am honored to have AC and Jalen Shaw on the line with me today. AC and Jalen, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Hey, thank you. Well, I already told AC and Jalen this, but I watched a documentary years ago that featured AC and his story and, and which is also Jalen's story, but I watched it and I instantly wanted to interview them and I couldn't figure out any way to get a hold of them. And then just last week, their cousin reached out to me over Facebook and I felt like it was just a miracle. So I am thrilled to have this chance to talk with both of you today. Uh, my first question for you is, I, I wondered if you could kind of start by sharing a little bit about your story and your experience. Your cousin, Jalen, told me that while ESPN showed a lot about the basketball part of the story, which I loved as a sports fan, that we didn't see the spiritual aspect of your family's story. Could you kind of start by telling us the story from your perspective through kind of the lens of faith? Yeah, yeah. So it all started, you know, on ESPN, I just want to start with that. They were amazing. We had the opportunity to be with them for about a year in our home and they did a beautiful job and they showed, really depicted AC's story and what happened so well, but they did, they, they only saw one side and so we're excited to be able to tell you the other side of the story. So it was AC's first, it was 2011, and it was AC's first state championship win. And the next day he goes out and he is checking the cows 
and there was a really cold, it was snowy, yeah. and there was a calf down, and it was just born, still wet. And so he took it, put it in his cab to warm it up, turned the heater on, and was in the cab for about 15 minutes. And no, and we didn't think anything of it. It was about a week later, he started to get sick. And it just kept progressing worse and worse. We thought it was the flu. We went to several doctors. They thought it was the flu. And we went to the emergency room a couple times. So that's kind of where the story started. And we went to our local hospital a couple times. The first time they said, it's the flu. Just go home. He'll be fine. The second time, he, he just kept getting worse. So the second time we took him in and I thought, oh, we're not going to get the same doctor. You know, what's the chances? Maybe somebody else will see him and, and know what's really going on. So we're waiting in the emergency room and in walks the same doctor we had before. And he's like, he looks at us and he says, what are you doing back? I told you it's the flu. And I said, it's not the flu. It's something more. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to do this. He says, it is the flu. I already told you it was the flu. I sent you away. I don't want you to come back. We're done. So I said, I said, I think he needs a neurologist. And he says, no, he doesn't. He's fine. It's the flu. And that would take a month at least to, to get into the neurologist. Anyways, long story short, we left pretty upset that day. And this is when we started, I started to have to really look at, search out for the, the, the Lord's hand in everything. Because from that moment, we had to start really looking for the good because it wasn't just obvious in our face. We were going through something pretty rough. So from that point, a friend of ours suggested to go down to the University of Utah. And we met with the doctor down there in the ER, and they admitted him. And that's kind of where the story takes off from. So fast forward two years, and we were finally home from the hospital. And our son, Cade, was playing football. He's in junior high playing football, and he breaks his arm. And this break wasn't just, oh, I think it's a broken arm. It was a really horrible horrible break. So we were right in the middle of two hospitals and we hadn't been back to that one hospital in two years. And I had no intentions of going back. And so we thought, okay, do we go north or do we go south to the hospital? Which way are we going to go? And I just thought, you know what? We're familiar with the other one. We didn't have a good experience, but I think we need to go back. I think we need to go there. So we all go and we hustle to the hospital. We're in the emergency room. The nurses are helping our son. And I said, hey, by chance, who's the doctor on call today? Like, who's, who's actually working? And no way was it going to be the same doctor that rejected to help him two years before that. And they said his name, and it was the same doctor. And I said, oh, no, there's no way. I'm not going to let him touch my son. And the nurse was like, why? He's wonderful. And I told the nurses kind of what happened. And they said, that doesn't even sound like him. That's no, you know, no way could he have been that rude and just not wanting to help you. And I said, oh, that's exactly what happened. 
So then our son, who was 12 at the time, he says, Mom, you need to forgive him. And at this point, I didn't realize how much anger I had for this doctor. And I had been holding it in for two years, how angry I was for him to reject Ace. He could have helped him and didn't. And we've had this long road of recovery. And I'm like, you're right, Kate. And he says, you know, mom, that's exactly what I would want you to do. You need to forgive him. So in walks the doctor. And he was so wonderful. And he reset his arm. He didn't have to have surgery. Everything was great. And that to me was a great testimony to me that Heavenly Father, even though I wasn't really aware of how much heat I had or anger I had for this doctor, um, Heavenly Father knew and he helped me clear that up, which brings me back to the reason why we went to the University of of Utah, if, if that doctor would have pacified us and said, I think I can help you, which we knew he couldn't after we, we had known what kind of, how bad, severe AC was, he could not have helped us. So really he pushed us and the Lord pushed us to where we needed to be, which was at the university. So at the time I thought he was being really awful and rude, but looking back and seeing the Lord's hand in it, he was actually saving AC by getting us to where we really needed to be. But you never know how the Lord's going to touch you and in what time he's going to touch you and in what time he's going to answer your prayer. I mean, that was two years later that he kind of opened our eyes to why we really got sent down and to help clear my heart up, you know, with that anger. Absolutely. So one thing that Holly told me in her message on Facebook is she said that she felt like you all had been kind of prepared for this experience. How did you, when you look back, obviously that's not something that you typically like see in the moment, but when you look back, how can you see that the Lord had prepared you for this experience? So yeah, when we were building our house, we just thought it would be a starter home. You know, we're just going to build this little starter home and then we're going to move back out onto the farm. And it just kept growing while we were building just like, yeah, I think we need to push this wall out. I think we need to extend this hallway. I think we need to make the kitchen bigger so wheelchair can get through. We need to, we were going to have all the bedrooms upstairs. And then we thought, no, when, if we were to stay here and we got older, we'll need a bedroom downstairs. So little did we know at the time that we were building it for our needs and our needs in just a year and a half, not... We were thinking our parents, if they got sick, you know, because growing up, I had my grandparents living with us. My parents helped take care of their parents. So I thought if that was ever the case for us, we would be set up to be able to take care of our parents in our home. But yeah, little did we know that it was for us. And, yeah. and Heavenly Father really helped us with that. 
And we built right across the church and we're close to town and we're close to the school. We're close to our little Merc that we have. And, and so AC has the freedom to go and socialize and be wherever he wants to be. So it was a huge blessing. When we were in the hospital down in Utah, my parents were actually sent on a mission for the LDS church and they were sent to New Mexico and they were in the MTC at the time. So the mission president at the mission, the MTC, let them come to visit us in the hospital and they would go back and forth. And my parents were really conflicted on what to do. Do we stay home and help our kids? Or do we go serve the Lord? And then um, the MTC president met with them and talked to them and said, you know what? You're <sighs> said that your mission is now to go home and, and serve your family. And so they were released and that's what they have done. They moved to Detroit to be with us and to help us and, and that's been such a huge blessing for us. I mean, it's taken the weight off of, um, of me, them helping with, with AC and, and our kids. And, and his family's great. They live right here in town as well. And so we've had a ton of family support through all this. It's amazing. I love that so much. I heard that President Monson came to visit you when you were in the hospital. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Okay, so when we were in the, the hospital, every, everyone would come and visit him. He always had visitors come. And every morning I'd say, Ace, guess who's coming to see you today? And we'd, I'd tell him who's coming to see him, and he was so excited. And, and so I said, Ace, guess who's coming to see you today? And he'd say, President Monson. I'm like, uh, no. So the next day, I'd say, hey, Ace, guess who's coming to see you today? And he'd say, President Monson. I said, no. <laughs> and I got thinking, why does he keep saying President Monson's coming to see him? And then I thought, oh, boy. So I said, Ace, why are you saying President Monson's coming to see you? And he says, well, because I've been praying for him to come to see me and to bless me. And I said, oh, AC, you can't pray for things like that. He is so busy. He could be anywhere in the world. And so don't, you can't pray for things like that. And he just looked at me kind of like, you're nuts. Sure you can. So, and then I was talking to my dad and I was telling him about it. And I said, I don't want him to lose his faith. Okay. I didn't want him to lose his faith. It wasn't, you know, I didn't think about where I was lacking in faith. So I just didn't want him to lose his faith and, and be like, Oh, Heavenly Father's not even listening to my prayers because I've been praying for him and he's not coming. So it was probably two days later that and we had been in the hospital for about a month to two months at this point. And so we thought he hasn't been out of his room. We need to get him out of his room so he can just see something other than these walls. So it took like three or four people to get him in the chair. We put a neck brace on him so he could hold up his head because he couldn't even hold up his head at the time. And we're just like, we're just going to take him outside, have some fresh air, bring him back. And we're gone five, 10 minutes at the most. And we're on our way back to his room. 
and we turn the corner and there's President Monson. And he's looking out the window, talking to this lady. And so I, I like leaned over to AC and I'm like, AC, oh my heck, guess what? President Monson. And he looked at me like, yeah, I knew he was coming. And so we just waited um, until he was done talking to the lady and, and he came over and talked to us and he was so gracious and kind and, and talked to us for a while. And he's like, Hey, can we, can I get AC's information? Because the apostles, we all meet together Thursday at 11 and I would really like for us to pray for him. So I'm like, Oh my heck, this is perfect. This is our ticket out of here. We were so excited. So I gave him his information and then he went off and was visiting somebody in the ICU at the time. So then I thought, Oh my heck, nobody's going to believe this. No one's going to believe that we saw President Monson. And so I ran back to the room, got our camera and we had a friend of ours made a quilt for AC that everyone signed that went to go see him. So I got the quilt and waited for him to come back out. So he comes back out. We talked to him for a little bit longer. And he says, hey, do you think Ace would mind if I give him a blessing? And I'm like, oh, my heck. This is really, this is what we need. Like, he's going to be, this is our ticket out. This is going to be great. So we go into this little corridor area where they take the laundry and take it down the elevator. So we all piled in there. And, you know, when you get a blessing and you want, you already know what you want, right? And so you're like, I'm like, I so want to tell him what to bless him for, you know, with, and um, I'm like, oh my heck, he's a prophet of God. He already knows. He knows what he needs. So I don't have to say anything the whole time. I'm like, oh, he's totally going to just heal him. I just know it. So he starts to give AC a blessing. And I'm just hanging on to every word that he says. And the words that I wanted him to say never came. You know, I wanted him to say, rise and walk. And I wanted him to say, you're healed. And those words never came. And he did bless them with um, endurance and patience and love. But to me, that was just a huge testimony builder of where I lacked faith. And AC never did. He never, he never did lack any faith. But I was just grateful that Heavenly Father, to me, he does hear and answer our prayers, even when they seem like so impossible that that can't happen. He finds a way to either make it happen or help us through that whole trial. That's so, that's such a great story. Another thing that I wondered about, so on the ESPN video, you said, Jaylen, that there was a moment where you asked AC if he just wanted to go or whether he wanted to keep fighting. And he said that he wanted to keep fighting, which I admire so much, AC. I hope that you know I just think that that resilience and that willingness to keep fighting and to want to be here in this crazy world that some of us, I think there are just so many things that we take for granted. And so 
What do you think Jalen influenced AC's decision to fight? And, and then AC, why did you, why did you want to keep fighting? Yeah. So, so that was a tough day because we met with the doctors in a little family consultation room and his dad was there and my dad was there and AC obviously wasn't there because he was struggling at the time. And the doctor said, you know, it's, it's time to make that decision on whether you want to, if we need to just let him go. And I couldn't make that decision. I just, I said, I can't make that decision. I can't say whether or not I, he needs to be let go or I, I can't do it. And I looked at my dad and his dad and neither one could really help with that. And luckily, AC was still aware of what was going on. And I went to his room and I said, you have to help me with this. I can't make this decision on my own. I said, you have to tell me what you want. And I said, do you want to fight? Do you want to keep going? What, what do you want? And, and that's, he says, no, I want to fight. And I think the thing for for me and him at the time is he wanted to be there with us and help raise our three kids. What do you think, Ace? Every time I look up, I see my kids. And uh, so the main thing is I just wanted to keep fighting so I could be part of my kids and my family was life. That was a big influence for me to stick around because I wanted to be part of that family. And help them. So neat. Another thing that your cousin said in a message to me, she said, I lived with them, meaning the two of you, for a summer a few years before the accident. And I saw such love and respect in their marriage. They both had such a wonderful sense of humor, and that has not changed. Their roles have taken new courses, but the love, respect, and humor is even deeper than before. They still crack me up. And I thought that was like such a great tribute to both of you. I think in my life, I have always appreciated examples of that love and respect in a marriage because I think sadly it's becoming harder and harder to come by. So what role has humor played over the last few years for your family? Well, I think it's either you have a choice. You can cry or you can laugh. So, I mean, and we cry. Don't get me wrong. There are days where we cry. But um, we try to find humor in everything. Even in the hospital, we had a good time, if that's kind of hard to imagine. But we did. We had so many therapists and nurses and aides. And we just love to visit and have a good time and laugh. And everybody said when they came into his room that they felt different. His room felt different. And I think that's because we look for, and you have to look for it. It doesn't just come, but you have to look for the good in everything and and laugh things off. The thing about humor is, just like you said, if you don't laugh about your own situation, pretty soon it gets pretty hard to go through life. So you got to laugh about what's happening. Because none of this can change unless you do something. Yeah. So even when things were really tough, and here's here's an example. 
AC was on life support for a couple weeks. They were putting a speaker valve on and to where he could talk. And he couldn't talk at all at, at that time. So, but we were so excited because we hadn't heard his voice. We hadn't talked to him. He really couldn't communicate with us. And so I was just like, oh my heck, we had been through so much. He was, he was very much aware of everything that was going out. It wasn't like he was in a coma. He was awake through everything. And so he could watch and see, but he couldn't communicate what he wanted to us. So he's finally getting the speaker valve and we put it on his little trach and I'm just like right in his face. And I'm like, Oh my heck. And I, it's kind of like days of our lives moment, you know, with Bo and Hope. You're probably too young for Bo and Hope, but Bo and Hope, you know, when they're in the hospital and one's about to die and, and you're just hanging on to every word they say. And you're like, oh, just tell me you're going you're gonna to say something so sweet and endearing, you know. So we were having that moment in the hospital. He was finally going to be able to say something so sweet and kind and, and loving to me that I've been waiting for because he almost died and he didn't. And he's here. And, and now his chance to, to say something sweet is right here. And so he puts the speaker valve in, and he's trying to talk. Yeah really like hard to talk and I said hun and I'm just in his face just right there and I'm like just say it just say it hun and he's like hun and I'm like oh my heck here it comes here comes the sweetest thing he's ever said to me in his life and I'm like yeah what and he's like hun brush your teeth Mm. I'm like are you kidding me are you kidding me that's the first thing you're gonna say and so, I mean, through even through the super hard times, we we found some humor. So then, even on April Fool's Day, oh boy! I played April Fool's joke on my uh, therapist. Yeah, so it was April Fool's, and he was in rehab. And rehab, we were back and forth. We were in rehab. We were back in the hospital. We were back in ICU. We were back in the hospital. We were back to the rehab and it was just bouncing back and forth and so we're in rehab at this time and it was april fools the nurses come in and they do the spill every morning and they're like ac good morning what's your name who's president what year is it you know what's your birth date they give him all these things and so he he answers it all and he says they're like so how are you feeling today and every day was different with him because his condition was always changing. And so he says, well, I woke up today and I can't feel my legs. And the nurse was like, oh, my heck, what do you mean you can't feel your legs? But she's trying to be so calm and, you know, like, oh, wow, okay. And she says, you know what? I'm going to go grab one of the therapists. So she goes, grabs a therapist, brings him into the, to our room and says, hey, guess what? AC woke up today and he can't feel his legs. And they're like, oh, wow. Okay, well, we're going to go find the doctor. So they're just about ready to leave the room. And he's like, wait, wait, what's today? And they're like, who cares what today is? Like, really? We don't care. We've got issues with your legs. And he's like, they're like, I don't know, Ace. And he's like, well, what day is it? And they're like, I don't know. It's April 1st. He's like, exactly. And they, I think, wanted to kill him. But, oh, he thought that was the funniest thing. But the thing is, as a week later, he did lose feeling in his legs. 
So you have to be careful what you joke about. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. Um, So my next question, Jaylen, is primarily for you. I think that there are a lot of people, and I have recently watched this because my mom's parents are not in very good health and she's been having to take care of them. And I think a lot of people are in the position of being a caregiver, whether it's to a spouse or to parents or children. What are some of the biggest challenges that you feel like you've faced as a result of being a caregiver? What are the biggest challenges that face someone in that position? Ooh, that's a tough one because you don't think you're going to end up being your husband's caregiver. I mean, not until maybe in your 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, you think, okay, when that time comes in my life, I'm ready for it. And, and that's just an expected given thing that I was thinking of. Of course, that's what I'll do for him. And I hope he would do for me. But when it comes, when you're 35, it's tough. It really is because your whole, your whole life changes and no longer are you, it's no longer a partnership. It's now me giving and having to do a lot for him. And that was, that was a, I mean, more than willing to, I, and I'm grateful that I was able to do that for him and still do that for him, but it was hard. It was a hard transition. So not only did I have to become his caregiver, but our kids, you know, they were seven, 10 and, or no, seven, 12 and 14. What were they? Seven, 10 and 13, 14. And yeah, they had to become their father's caregiver as well. And they helped with shaving and brushing his teeth and feeding him and getting him into bed and dressing him, you know. And so it wasn't just me that had to take on that caregiver role, but our kids. And it was tough. I mean, it's tough to, to, um, it's just a constant, you know, you're just, it's a constant thing. But where we were lucky was um, not only did we have a lot of family help, AC is so kind and patient, and he makes serving him a lot easier. And when we were in the hospital, they said, and he had, you know, he had a brain infection. So they said sometimes, and we did brain biopsy, and they did a lot of things with his brain. And they said sometimes when people have brain injuries, their personality changes. And I thought, oh, my heck, you know what? You can take away his body, his mobility. You can take away anything, but please don't take away his personality because he's always been kind and patient and loving and funny and a great friend for everyone and to everyone. I didn't want that lost. And I didn't want him to become angry and mean and hateful. And so that was a fear of mine that his personality would change. And it didn't. He's stayed the same the whole time. Very positive and and upbeat and very spiritual still. And so that's where it's it's good for us because to take care of somebody that has that those traits, it makes it a lot easier than if he was angry and and resentful and mean and bitter. That's the thing I've seen is our the kids because 
they get their dad all the time, they presume they get to where they were in. So you have to be really patient and let people help you. Yeah, that was our main thing is we didn't want for myself. I never wanted to get resentful towards AC for having to take care of him and be his caregiver because that can happen very easily. And so we work on that and he allows me to have my time and, and the kids, they still get to do their activities. And so it's a team effort for sure. I think it's so interesting. My mom was just talking to a lady that it works in hospice and she was saying how a lot of times the the person that is sick will not treat the caregiver very well, but they'll treat everybody else really well. And I think, so I think it's interesting how there are those different dynamics you mentioned, not wanting to feel resentful, but I think that that can go both ways. And I think it's such a credit to both of you. Before we get to the last question, I just wanted to ask you how you feel like your marriage and your family is stronger today than it was in 2010 when this happened and why you're each grateful for each other. Yeah. So in 2010, our marriage was great, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have to make sure I have to verify it. No, our marriage was great. I mean, we... At the time, AC was coaching, which he loves, and he was farming and ranching, which he loves, and we had three great kids. We, we didn't really have a whole lot of major problems or major trials other than having our fertility. We had issues with fertility and keeping our babies. We had five miscarriages. That was definitely a trial. But really, we were strong, and we were strong in the church, we were strong in the gospel, we were strong with our marriage and our kids, and, and things were going pretty smooth. We didn't argue much or anything, no. we just were coasting. When we had our time. Yeah, we were just pretty much coasting, and then it hit, you know, and it really made us practice what we preached, really, because... You know, in the gospel, we're taught to serve and love each other till for all eternity. And we made those commitments to each other and to our Heavenly Father. And so now it was time to practice what we preached and really apply what we've been taught our whole life to our marriage. And so it definitely tried us and still tries us because it's not easy. And some days it's not fun, but I wouldn't want to do it with anyone else other than Ace. He makes it pretty easy. And uh, one thing that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be going this far without the help of Jillian. I wouldn't even be here. So I'm grateful for that, and I'm grateful that I'm still part of the family. And uh, we can only, that this isn't forever. Yeah. We can, it's only a more short time that I can't walk. For 50 years, whatever it is, short time. Yeah. And then for eternity, about the walking, be back for myself, and that's the thing that keeps me going. My faith in that Savior, that uh, He died for us, that we can live with each other throughout eternity. 
it's, it's given us the opportunity to apply the gospel to our life. You know, you, you can practice it and you can preach it and you can know it, but to apply it is something different. And so it's really given us the opportunity to, to apply, to apply the gospel. And it is, it's just for a short time. You know, I'm like, the longest it'll be is, you know, we were 35 at the time is another 40, 45 years. What's 45 years to all eternity, you know? (laughs) So keeping things into perspective, I think is the main thing that we've, we keep trying to bring it back to is keeping it in perspective. And uh, I just think the family is stronger because of all that they have to, there's no way around serving. They have to serve me every day. Even though it's the same person, but they they are, was, I can't do it without them. It's their service. So they get me dressed, get my food every day, fresh up something, they have to pick it up. It's and, and along that line is... For me, I wanted to make sure my kids saw had a good example because they're going to have hard times in their life, and how I how I take on my challenges, I want them to do that and even better. I want them to say, "Oh, my mom had struggles, and this is how she handled it. My dad had struggles. This is he didn't quit. He kept going, and this is what he did." I, you know, everyone has trials. Everyone's going to have struggles. We all have different things in our life. But I just wanted to be a good example. And I hope I am to my kids that they can look at it and said, mom, dad didn't quit. Mom and dad stayed tough. They stayed strong in the gospel and their testimonies never wavered. And, and I hope that helps them when, they're, when their trials come their way. Yeah, that reminds me of one other question I did want to ask, which is what have you learned about why God allows bad things to happen to good people? Uh, That's a a good question. The only thing I think of since this happened is God can see the future. He knows what's best for you. So bad things happen. You think they're bad, but they're turning out to where they You wouldn't have it any other way. So even though you think it's bad, if God knows what He's doing, someone else learns something from from this. I have to learn something. She learns something. The kids. I don't know what it is, but I guarantee that there's been a lot learned from this experience. And I think that the main thing is just to remember that God is in charge of it. That he knows what we need and he'll make it. Well, you can see my life is more than I could ever imagine has happened. Like you said, one night, three six Jimmy and Gibson. It's, I mean, it's been an amazing life. It's amazing to see how the Lord puts us in a, in a situation such as uh, AC coaching and winning state championships, having, having him sick and hurt and then continuing to win and how it set the platform for him to share the gospel and to share his story and to, to help inspire other people. Even though we're living it and it's hard, it helps us to know that 
our story can inspire and touch other people. And when they're going through their trials, sometimes I'm like, I wish everyone would just hurry up and learn their lessons so we can get on with our life. But Heavenly Father knows what's best for us and what, and if he can use us as a tool to help others to spread his message, then we're happy to do that. Well, you two are incredible power couple right here. Um, My last question for you is what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? The main thing is like in the scriptures that talks about build upon the rock of the Redeemer. And we got to remember that through revelation, you get the revelation that God is real and that Christ is real. And this is his kingdom on the earth. And that's what means Cornelian. If you believe that, you are always engaged in the good cause. All in for me, I think of Christ and he is all in for me and what he can do for me and um, what he has done for me. I mean, he's helped me with everything. It doesn't matter if I sin. It doesn't matter if I'm, you know, if, if I'm struggling, he is all in for me and he's helping me through all of it. And so I think of all in and, and Christ was all in for sure. And I hope that I can be all in for him. Some days I am, some days I struggle, but it's very reassuring to know that he is all in for me. You both are awesome. And I am so appreciative to you for sharing your testimonies and your light with me. And uh, I just thank you very much. Well, thank you. We appreciate your time, Morgan. We are so grateful to AC and Jalen Shaw for their willingness to share their story on this week's episode. To learn more about AC and Jalen and to see the incredible documentary that was done by ESPN, visit our show notes at ldsliving.com slash all in. You can also find transcripts to every episode we've ever done on that page. So be sure to check it out. A huge thank you to Derek Campbell of Mix at Six Studios for his help with this episode and Thank you all so much for listening and spending your time with us. We'll be with you again next week.